0: Good morning, Northridge. How are you guys? Good. So good to see you guys. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. I want to welcome all of you. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online as well. We are so grateful that you've joined us. We're in this series called Relationship Jenga, and uh, we've been talking about what are the key building blocks that we need to have these God-honoring relationships. And we kind of acknowledged last week when we kicked this off that life is life's full of relationships, right? And relationships are are, are what matter. We realize that as a church. It's one of the reasons that we do things like the women's conference that's coming up. If you haven't signed up for that yet, ladies, now's the time to do it. We we believe in relationships. We believe that relationships in so many ways impact the quality of your life. Um, And getting to a place where you can not only form healthy relationships, but you can maintain healthy relationships is key. It's so important. And today we're gonna talk a little bit about conflict. And uh, what I know about your relationships is if for every single authentic relationship you have, you also have conflict. And if you don't learn how to work through that conflict in a God-honoring way, it's gonna impact everything about your life. And we know this, Early on in life, people tried to help us, teach us different mechanisms to cope with conflict. And a lot of times, you didn't even realize that's what they were doing. We were little, remember, we played games, and, and so many of those games were designed to help us figure out how to deal with people when we disagree with them. What do you do when you don't get what you want? You remember Musical Chairs? Remember that game? We're gonna actually play a game, Musical Chairs. We have some kids backstage we're gonna bring out here. Give them a huge round of applause. Here they come. Here they come. And they are gonna play a game of musical chairs. There's a prize, guys, for whoever wins, all right? So you gotta take this quite serious, okay? All right, when the music starts, you start. Are you ready? And Just pretend like there's not a thousand people out there watching you, okay? All right, you got it? Go ahead. That's all right, that's all right, you got this. All right, stand up. Gonna take a chair out. And here we go. (laughs) Ah, shoot, good try, good try, good try. All right, we're down to three, right? All right, y'all cheer him on, here we go. Referee, referee! <laughs> He's got his hands out. Like what? What? All right, here we go. We're down to two, right? What two? Okay, we had a, we have a ruling. It's been said. You take it up with the ref. All right. Here we go. Go ahead and start it. Conflict. We have some conflict here. How are we gonna resolve this? Yeah? I'll let y'all take care of that backstage. You're all winners. Great job. Great job. Oh, that's funny. I I've had so much fun with that game all day long watching these kids play it. And it's so you should hear them backstage talking about who's gonna win and who's gonna lose. And the the reality is like it's fun, right? When you're a kid and you have a little bit of that kind of conflict, you don't get what you want, you can kind of bounce back from that. But the reality is that plays out every single day in all of our relationships where you discover at some point in every relationship you have, you're not always going to get your way. You're not always going to see things the same. And so what do you do in your relationships when you have conflict? Now, this message in this entire series, by the way, is not geared just towards married couples, right? Because your life is made up of all kinds of relationships. Some of you are married, some of you are single, but you have, also have coworkers. you have family, you have parents, some of you have kids. You got relationships all around you and there's conflict in all of that. So let's just talk a little bit today about how we handle that conflict in a God-honoring way. Looked at a survey this week, that taught, this was about married couples, the things that they fight about, what do couples fight about. Number one thing was money that they have conflict over. The second thing was screen time. That was interesting because you can see these studies throughout the the years and a lot of things like money. Money's been a number one thing for couples to fight about for decades and decades. What is new is screen time. A recent survey from Baylor University showed that 70% of couples listed screen time as an issue, a point of conflict, in their relationship like one person spends too much time on it or whatever and it gets in the middle Uh, past relationships was the third thing on the list fourth thing household chores i thought this was interesting even in families where both the husband and the wife work outside of the home still today in 2022 women do 60 percent more unpaid work around the house uh, than their counterpart Uh, people fight about the future People fight about affection and intimacy. I actually would have thought that would have been higher on the list, uh, but it came in at six. And it's interesting when you think about it because um, in the top five needs of both men and women, usually, usually, not always, but usually physical touch is in the top five for both men and for women. The difference is how men and women define physical touch if you know what I mean, right? So we'll, we'll keep this PG, but often men and women don't see that necessarily the same. We, my wife and I fought about that this week because I was just telling her, like sometimes, like, sometimes I just want to be held, right? Some, sometimes, <laughs> I hope she's watching this right now. You know, sometimes I just want her to put her arm around me and that's it, and it just stays right there, right? I mean, sometimes I, 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 want, to, I want her to know I'm more than just a body, right? And... Um, <laughs> So we're working through that. Please pray for us, Uh, especially now. But uh, we, we all have conflict, right? And you're gonna have conflict in these relationships and whether the things that you fight about show up on that list or not, you know that you're gonna have conflict. For every authentic relationship that you have, there's gonna be conflict. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in this vicious cycle of conflict and fighting with your spouse? What do you do when your, you and your neighbor are in a dispute over his stupid, really loud dog? What do you do when a coworker has embarrassed you in front of the entire office, and now you haven't talked to that coworker in three or four days? What do you do when you and your sibling uh, share some really painful, hurtful words towards each other and you haven't spoken in three years? Like. Life is full of conflict, and sometimes it's a little small series of conflicts. And then for some of you, there's major conflicts where there's somebody like in your family that you haven't spoken to in years because of something happened. Scripture kind of puts it this way. This is the book of Romans chapter 12. It says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, a key word here that you can't ignore is if... Right, if it's possible, which means it's not always possible. For a variety of reasons, you figured this out that sometimes there's a conflict that unfortunately leaves two people going in two separate directions. But scripture's real clear: if possible, as far as it depends on you, seek peace. Right? In other words, there should be an intention of peace inside of your relationships. There should be a goal of peace. There should be a desire to wanna live at peace in your relationships. And my goal over these next 15 minutes or so is just to kinda help all of us transform how we see and how we respond to conflict. Because the quality of our relationships depends not on whether or not we have conflict, right, but on how we respond to that conflict. Conflict, in other words, usually is not the problem. It's how we respond to the conflict that can then become a problem inside of our relationships. Because conflict is always an opportunity to show and demonstrate the love and the power of God in our lives. It's, it's crucial. So, not to oversimplify this, but most people respond to conflict in one of two ways. You're either flight or you're fight, right? Flight means if you're on this side of it, you tend to just naturally want to avoid conflict, right? Fight side, if this is you, you, you love a good fight, right? You, you love to engage in that. You love to lean in that. What's interesting is you can actually flip-flop from flight to fight or fight to flight based on different relationships, so like some of you in the workplace might be more of a flight person, but at home, you're all about fight. you lean right into that, okay? But for the most part, you kind of have this wiring that makes you either lean more towards flight or more towards fight. Quick survey, show of hands, how many of you would say you lean towards flight, you try to avoid conflict? Okay, that's good. Uh, how many of you would say you lean more towards fight? Go ahead and raise your hand. Wow. Some of, the, some of you are like very aggressive about it, too. You're like, yes. <laughs> you want to fight like right now, don't you? Like it's like, it, it's in you, right? So let's, let's talk a little bit about these two different responses, all right, to kind of get a little more uh, clarity. The flight response, th- these are people who tend to use this response when they're more interested in avoiding than they are resolving. Historically, this is me. All right, I, I'm, I'm a flight guy. I do not like conflict. I avoid it at all costs. I've gotten a lot better with it over the years where I can lean into it, but it, it's not comfortable for me. I don't just naturally lean into conflict. Um, I will if I have to, but I don't necessarily like it. Now this attitude too, by the way, this flight attitude tends to be pretty common inside churches because some people grew up in a, in a Christian household where they were kind of honestly falsely taught that all conflict is bad, Christians should always agree with one another, they should never fight with each other, and, you know, everybody should always just kind of agree. And if you're flight, you tend to handle conflict in one of two ways. You escape or you deny. So uh, escape is you shut down, uh, you walk away, you go to bed, you're going to sleep on it, but you never address it. You just escape it. The deny is you just pretend like it doesn't even exist, right? Uh, there's, there's things all the time that are happening, conflicts that are coming up inside of you, but you never address that with the other person. You just you just completely ignore it. Now, the problem is obvious, right? If, if you're on the flight side and you're escaping and you're denying all the conflict and the relationships around you, eventually that's going to build up right? That resentment just builds up every single time you sweep it under the the rug, and eventually you're just going to explode. You're going to pop like this inflated balloon. You ever been in a a discussion with somebody that elevated into a conflict, and uh, all of a sudden they just explode on you, like far beyond what the issue really calls for, and you kind of sit back and you're like, what was that about? And it could be about a lot of things, but often what it's about is that there's a series of conflicts that they've ignored, they've swept under the rug, they haven't shared their truth, and then in that moment, they just, they just explode on you. If you need a biblical example of how flight response can cause damage to a relationship, this is an extreme example, but go home and read Second Samuel chapter 13 through 19. It's a, it's a story of, a, of, of Dave, King David in a particular moment in his life where his kids have a ton of conflict. And, uh, and David chooses to f- flight response. He chooses to run from it. He walls himself away from it. He denies that there's this major conflict that's going on between his kids. Uh, murder ends up happening. Uh, excommunication ends up happening. The family unit falls apart because David, King David, the same David who went to battle against Goliath, the same David who's led the nation of Israel, the same David has led uh, you know, the, the, the army in the battle time and time again. In this moment, as a dad, when he needed to step into the conflict, he chose not to. He tries to escape, he tries to deny, and ultimately his whole family falls apart as a result of it. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal uh, figuring out how you're gonna go through and navigate all this stuff. And, and most Christians honestly are intent on peace faking instead of peacemaking. In other words, they're more concerned about the appearance of peace than they are the reality of peace. And again, the more that you avoid conflict, the bigger that pile of resentment is gonna get and ultimately you're gonna end up blowing up and overreacting over something that has nothing to do <laughs> with what's in front of you in that moment. So that's flight. Now, fight, you guys are on the other end. These are responses used by people who are more interested in winning than they are resolving. Um, if this is you, again, you like conflict. You, it, it's almost kind of like a part of you. You're, you're very comfortable with the drama that comes along with a good fight. You enjoy that. You lean into that. Um, so, uh, here's a passage for you, those of you that are on the fight side of things here. Uh, Proverbs 19 says, A person with discretion... Is not easily angered. He gains respect by overlooking an offense. Now, these three last words overlooking an offense, that is an art that, for the most part, as Americans, we have completely lost. We don't know what it looks like to overlook an offense anymore. In fact, we are like ready and eager and cannot wait to be offended most of the time. We're looking for opportunities to be offended. And so for those of you that tend to kind of fall on that fight side, I think this is a really important verse. And it's important for all of us, in fact, is learning this art of overlooking an offense. Getting to a place where you understand that not everything in life needs or deserves your response. Not everything in life needs or deserves your opinion. It's okay sometimes to just overlook an offense. And overlooking an offense is quite different than flight, where you ignore or escape, because overlooking an offense is actually a form of forgiveness. It's an intentional decision that in this moment, while I may not agree with what they just said or what they just did, nothing changes, it's not helpful at all for me to get worked up, I have a limited amount of energy in my life and I'm choosing not to spend it on that. And if you can learn, you can learn that art inside of your relationships. It's gonna help them flow and be smoother and be more God-honoring than you can imagine. So those are the two typical responses, right? You got flight and you got fight. And the goal obviously is over time, you get closer to the middle, no matter which side that you happen to be on. But while flight and fight aren't necessarily what I would call biblical responses, let me give you just four real quick things that I think will be helpful for those of you who are trying to figure out How do I biblically respond to conflict inside of my relationships in my life? And here's step number one. You gotta seek to glorify God. That's gotta be your first intention, because all this breaks down pretty fast if you're not willing to look at conflict as an opportunity for you ultimately to glorify God. And the best way, the best way that you can glorify God in the context of your conflict is to lean into and remember God's undeserved love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom that He will give to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. See, what happens for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us is that He allows us to do things that we could never do on our own. Things like extending mercy to people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, here's the beautiful thing about mercy in the context of relationships and conflict. What mercy does is it frees you from the need to feel like you have to fix all the people in your life. See, if some of you think that you're on a mission, you gotta fix your husband, you gotta fix your wife, you gotta fix your teenage kids, right? You gotta you gotta you gotta fix your boss because you know he's got issues. You you feel this need to fix all the people around you. What mercy says is actually. That's not my job to fix the people around me. I'm not going to continue to try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of all the people around me. Mercy frees you from that. Because, see, and we talked a little bit about this last week. We talked about pride and how destructive pride can be to our relationships. As human beings, we love to be right, we want to be right, right? We want to win. We want to be, at the end of the game, the last person standing or sitting in a chair. Like, we want to win. We love to be right. But when you are willing to give up being right, it opens up so many possibilities in your relationships. But a lot of us, we're just wired wired to judge. We're quick to condemn. We're quick to throw the penalty flag. We're quick to call the foul. We're quick to get offended. But what God loves to do through each and every one of us He loves to display his love in us and through us as we attempt things that we could just never do on our own, right? Things like forgiving someone who has hurt us deeply. Things like being patient with somebody who has um, lashed out at us. Things like listening to someone who has personally offended you, right? These are things that don't don't just naturally happen for most of us. And if we don't make this intention on the front end that every single conflict we have in our life and we have in the context of our relationships is an opportunity to seek to glorify God. That's step one. Step two is you gotta focus on your contribution. You gotta focus on what do I add? What did I bring to the table? And if you honestly tell me, if you honestly start to assess the conflicts in the relationships around you, the conflicts that you have with your siblings, uh, the conflicts that you have with your kids, the conflict that you have with your spouse. If you honestly start to assess those conflicts and you come back to me and you're like, yep, I'm i am I'm good. There's nothing here for me to like claim responsibility for. I, I have contributed nothing to this conflict. Probably what I would say to you in love is you need to go back and listen to week one of this series on pride because I think you might be struggling with it. If you can't see, that's what pride does. Pride and the ego is trying to protect you and make you think that you're not contributing anything, when in fact, inside of almost every single conflict, it takes two people, right? Matthew 7, Jesus said, if you judge other people, then you will find that you too are being judged. Indeed, you will be judged by the very standards to which you hold other people. Man, that's, that'll hit you hard, right? Because some of you, the standards you have for the people around you right now, it's, it's crazy, they can never meet those standards, right? They're a, a broken human being with the past and with the history. And sometimes what we have to do is pause inside of our relationships and really come from the standpoint of maybe, maybe, maybe they're trying the best they can. Maybe they're doing in that moment the most they possibly can with the tools that they have, given their past, given their history, given what they've gone through, given what's happening and their triggers that they have as a human being, right? Sometimes I think we just need to stop and we just need to like realize we're all rookies at this love thing None of us get it completely right, and maybe sometimes, if we didn't have such high standards of perfection for all the people around us, we could have relationships that just flowed a little bit easier. He said, "Be real careful about these standards, because you're going to be held to the same standard." Why is it that you see the dust in your brother's or sister's eye, but you can't see what's in your own eye? We talked a little bit about that last week. Like it's so easy for you to identify all the things that are going wrong, all the things that people are doing wrong in your relationships. And so difficult to see it in yourself. Goes on to say, don't ignore the wooden plank in your eye while you criticize a speck of sawdust in your brother's eyelashes. That type of criticism and judgment is a sham. Remove the plank from your own eye and then perhaps you'll be able to see clearly how to help your brother flush out his sawdust. Couple obvious things here, right? Number one, nobody's getting a pass as if they didn't contribute to the conflict, right? Like when you start, with what you contributed, it's not saying that the other person gets off scot-free. But what scripture's really clear about is when there's a conflict, the best thing that you can do, if, if ultimately you want there to be resolved, is you start with what you brought, right? You start with yourself. You start by looking at what did I contribute? What can I own? That's the question right there. What can I own in this? Start with that. And I know what some of you think is they're like, well, if I start with that, then they're gonna take it. No, 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 Let, let's just start with what you can own and then just see what happens. Because a lot of times what happens in that moment is you just gave them the freedom to then own on their own what they've contributed. And if they can own what they contributed by themselves without you pointing it out, there's a lot better chance that you're gonna get some kind of resolve there, right? The, the wisdom here, start with you. What? do I own? What have I contributed in this? Number three, listen more, talk less. This is super simple and scripture actually has a whole lot to say about this. Proverbs 18, a fool never delights in true knowledge, but only wants to express what's on his mind, right? It's this idea. And this is, a lot of people think that listening is just waiting to talk. Right? You're you're sitting there, you're waiting for your chance so you can insert your opinion, say what it is that you want to say. That's not listening. Listening is not sitting there waiting to talk. Listening is this active thing, right? Listening is different. Uh, Someone actually shared this with me between services. They were like, you know, hearing is an ability. Listening is kind of a skill, right? Most of us have the ability to hear, but we have not sharpened the skill to listen to somebody, actually listen to what they're saying, to put yourself in their shoes. We talked last week a little bit about this idea of empathy and how important it is. And empathy involves two things. It involves number one, your ability to see things from their perspective. And number two, it it requires that you genuinely have a loving care and, and, and you want to see them do well. That's what it takes, those two things. So are you listening? The best way to resolve conflict is never with your mouth, it's with your ears. Listen to them. Because one of the most basic human needs that we all have is to just be understood, right? That's what some of you want more than anything else. You just want to be understood. Your teenagers, they really wanna be understood. And they're gonna show that to you in a lot of really, really weird ways, but ultimately what they're wanting is, mom, dad, I want you to understand me. I want you to put yourself in, in my shoes. The people around your spouse right now, they want to be understood and you can't understand, you can't meet that basic human need that the people around you have without first slowing down enough to listen. So listen more, talk less. And here's the last thing, fourth thing, attempt to build a bridge instead of a case. Attempt to build a bridge instead of a case. Um, Let's say that me and you have a conflict, okay? We have a conflict right now. Who knows, you know, what the conflict's about, but we have this conflict, all right? If I respond to the conflict that you and I have with a flight response, my focus is on me. Right, it's on my needs, my wants, my desires, which right now is to avoid this conflict. Right, if I focus, if I have a flight response, my focus is on me, what's easy for me, what's convenient for me, what's non-threatening for me. This is the interesting thing about the, those of us who have a flight response to conflict can also tend to be a little bit self-righteous. I've seen this in my own life. We think we handle conflict better than those who have a fight response. We think we're a little more Christian because we're trying to, and what we'll often tell ourselves is that we are avoiding this conflict to help the other person out, right? Because we, we don't want them to have to feel this pain of this conflict, but that's, that, that's not true. For the vast majority of us, like myself, who have a flight response, we're protecting ourselves. We don't want to feel the pain that will come along with seeing the other person upset. Right, that's the com- almost all conflict avoidance comes down to also pain avoidance, and so it's about you. So, if you and I have a conflict and I respond with flight, my focus is on me. If you and I have a conflict and I respond with fight, my focus is on you. Right, you're wrong, you screwed up, you need to change. Right, so flight response focuses on yourself. Fight response, your focus is on the other person. With a biblical response, though. My focus is not on me, and my focus is not on the other person. See, in a biblical response, what I realize is it's us. It's me and you together. It's me and you together. And the problem, right, the conflict that we have, that's the enemy, that's what we want to go after. It's us versus the problem, not me versus you. See the difference between the two? Some of you are caught up in, uh, this happens a lot in marriages, you're in this vicious cycle. It's It's just fight conflict. You never actually resolve. That's the interesting thing about flight and fight. Both responses never actually resolve the conflict. And so it's still there. It's always bubbling up and you're just caught in a cycle. You you have peace for a couple days in your relationship and then you have another big blow up. And then, you know, somebody threatens to leave and then you guys make up and you go two or three more days and then boom, it blows up again. Because there's fight and there's flight and nothing's actually getting resolved. It's you versus them. And as long as it's you versus them in the relationship, you're not going to resolve the conflict, right? You're not. So it comes down to this idea. Do you want to build a case? In other words, do you want to win the conflict or do you want to build a bridge? There's a guy by the name of uh, Robert Roberts, he's a writer, and uh, one day he went to uh, visit the schools, it was a fourth grade class, it was a PE class, and the PE teacher with this fourth grade class was teaching them a game of balloon stomp. Have you ever played balloon stomp? It, this is where you take a string and you tie the balloon like around your ankle, and usually you want it pretty tight like that, and so everybody gets a balloon and a string tied around their ankle, and then somebody's going to blow a whistle, and then all heck breaks loose, all right? Because the, the the game is, and the PE teacher instructed the class to know, hey, the game is the last person that's standing at the end with their balloon not popped wins. And so you have a balloon tied on your ankle and you're just, it's, 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 it's a pretty physical game, right? You kind of get in there and you're shoving and you're pushing, you're trying to pop everybody's balloon while you're trying to protect your own balloon. And so the class goes after it when the whistle blows, and uh, those fourth, fourth graders just went nuts, and they're trying to stomp each other's balloons. They play the game at the end. There's one person that has their balloon tied around their ankle, and they are the winner. And Roberts is writing this story about kind of everything I and observed, uh, and he said after that class got done, another class comes in. But this class was a little different. This is a class of fourth graders as well, but it's a group of kids who have special needs. And so the PE teacher gives them the same instructions, and it's pretty quick, so maybe, you know, with some of the, uh, the needs that they have, they weren't able to comprehend everything quite as quickly. So when the PE teacher blew the whistle, the only thing that was clear to these students from the instructions was that a balloon was supposed to be popped, right? That, that's what they got out of the instructions, like a balloon should be popped. And so when the whistle blows, they go to work, but it's not the students versus each other it's the students versus the balloon. So one of the first little girls kind of kneels down, and she actually holds her balloon, kind of like a you know uh, someone would hold a football to be kicked. And the other kid comes over and jumps on it and pops it. And she stands up and she gives him a high five. And then he kneels down and he holds his balloon for her. And she jumps on it and pops his balloon and they stand up and they give each other a hug. And this goes on through all the kids until in the end, all the balloons were popped. And when all the balloons were popped, the class just erupted in applause because they had all won. They had defeated the balloons. And I've always loved that story because the question for me is which class got the game right and which class got the game wrong? And one of the big problems for a lot of you in your relationships is you're trying to win against the other person. You see the other person as the enemy. And and, and you're not trying to resolve the actual issue, the conflict. The enemy is, the, is, is, is it's the balloon, right? It's not the other person. And if you can start to see that you're on the same team with the people, that the people that are in your life, your friends, your romantic relationship, all all of it. Listen, these are all gifts from God. And there's a conflict right now that's rearing its ugly head for you. And you have a decision. Do you want to build a case or do you want to build a, a bridge? Do you want to win and be right? Or do you want to deepen that relationship? I'll tell you an interesting thing. The only person who has ever had the right to build a case against me and to build a case against you the only person that's ever had the right to build a case was God. And he chose not to build a case, but instead chose to build a bridge by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Oh, he could have built a case against you, couldn't he? He could have built a case against me. it would have been a big one. Like I, I, I was giving him evidence every single day and still do to build a case against me. But he chose in his mercy to not build a case against me, but instead to build A bridge. And you got a decision, right? What a beautiful gift that is. But then we take what we've all gained from that bridge, the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And then often we are so stingy with how we extend that to other people. And we got to decide what's most important to you. Do you want to be known for successfully putting other people in their place? Or do you want to be known for loving will? Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't, I, that's a good question. Like, I'm really good at putting people in their place. Like, I have a gift at putting place. But listen, I'll tell you the one person who never for a second debated whether they wanted to be known for putting people in their place or whether they wanted to be known for loving will, and that was Jesus. And right before he's gonna be arrested and he's taken to the cross, he prays this beautiful prayer. This is what he prays. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me he's tying a lot to this prayer he's talking about this idea of unity between people and their ability to have unity being tied to the reason that he was sent he said i've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be the ones they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, that's, that's a strong prayer. Here's Jesus, towards the end of his earthly ministry, he's about to be arrested and crucified. And as death draws near, Jesus' sole focus is on this concept that he views of paramount importance, and it's unity. And he doesn't pray that his followers never have conflict. He doesn't pray that his followers would always be happy or that they would never suffer or that our rights would always be protected. He prayed that we would figure out a way to just get along with one another. This is so important to him that he tied his reputation and credibility to this message, right, of unity and that human beings have got to figure out a way to work through conflict together. So I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. For some of you, like this whole idea that I just talked about of um, God built a bridge to you, maybe that's a new concept. And maybe you've kind of grown up around church or maybe grown up around religion, but you've always thought it's more about like you doing more good things than bad things. And maybe you've never realized, wow, the God of the universe built a bridge to me through Jesus Christ? Like, that's pretty cool. Like, he's gonna offer me grace and mercy and forgiveness? That's that's for me? Yes, for every one of you. And if you're here, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm gonna give you that opportunity right now. Maybe you're watching this on the internet somewhere. You know, maybe you're sitting here right now at Plymouth and you just realize, wow, I have never put my trust and faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now as we close out. I'm gonna ask you all to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I I want that, I need that grace, I need that mercy, then I wanna just invite you to say this simple prayer in your heart. You don't have to stand up, you don't have to come forward, just sitting wherever you might be sitting right now. Maybe you just open up your heart and you just say, dear God, with as much as I understand about you in this moment, I wanna invite you into my heart. I wanna ask what your son Jesus did on the cross to be applied to my sin, because I realize I have fallen short. And scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so for those of you that right now in this moment are inviting Jesus into your life, asking for his forgiveness to be applied to your sin. I'm telling you, it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And we're proud of you. We're excited for you. God, there's a lot of us that are here today that have already prayed that prayer and we've made you our Lord. We've received your grace. But the reality is we're still human beings. And we often find ourselves in these relationships with people that we genuinely do love and we genuinely do care about. And yet we have some conflict. And maybe for some of us it's a conflict that's kept us away from somebody for years. For some of us it's a conflict that we had this morning. And we all responded to the conflict in different ways. Some of us love to fight. Some of us want to avoid the fight. But God, what we need desperately more than anything else is for you to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. So God, in every conflict we have, we'll seek to glorify you. We will seek to listen more than we talk. We'll seek, we'll make our goal, our intention to build a bridge, not a case. Because God, you can do amazing things through us. Your spirit empowers us to forgive and to show mercy where we could not forgive and show mercy on our own. God, we're so grateful for this time that we're having together, we're we're grateful for the relationships you've given us, even though they're not easy, and every single relationship is complicated, and I pray God as we go through this series together that um, you'll just remind us of your grace, that we won't be too hard on ourselves, and we won't be too hard on the people that we have relationships with, that we'll remember that we're all rookies at this love thing, and that we all need help, and we need you to lead us and guide us so that our relationships can become everything they were designed to be, and God, we'll give you all the glory, and give you all the credit. For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, before you leave, this is really important. Listen up. Uh, If you're here or you're watching online and you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus, we'd love to come alongside you, encourage you. Let us know about your decision. All you have to do is text the word NORTHRIDGE to 31616. Text the word NORTHRIDGE to 31616 and we'll get you some information and some encouragement for this huge decision that you've made in your life. If you're here and you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. Uh, You'll want to be here next week because Pastor Brad will be back. He's going to continue this Relationship Jenga series. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next weekend, okay? (laughs) I'm be able to